Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. 7,000 nurses strike in New York City, all unions standing in solidarity. A big union win for Yale graduate workers. And today on the show, we'll check in with the United Electrical Workers and the Operating Engineers in Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome to the Wednesday, January 11th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora and Stitcher. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with Carl Rosen. Carl is general president of the United Electrical Workers Union. UEUnion.org is the website. And this guy is a longtime union member and leader. He's been active in the union since 1984 when he joined Local 190 in Chicago. This was uh, Kerr Glass. He worked there for 10 years as a maintenance electrician, served in various positions for the local, including steward, publicity, education director, chief steward, bargaining committee member, and then president. In uh, 1994, Carl Rosen was elected District 11 president, and uh, when District 11 was succeeded by the Western Region, which was in 2006, he was elected as regional president. Carl has been general president since 2019. We'll talk about the uh, growing labor upsurge, especially with younger generations. We'll talk politics a bit. He's not happy with the Democrats or the Republicans. He would like to see a labor party. I remember last time we had him on the show, we really got into a good discussion on that. He, uh, he did an op-ed recently in the Chicago Tribune talking about inflation and the role of the Federal Reserve Board. He called it an obscure government institution, seemingly far removed from our lives. Carl wrote that working people are justifiably outraged over increases in prices, especially of basic necessities like gas, food, housing. However, inflation is only the latest blow to the living standards of members of the working class who have been facing a cost-of-living crisis for decades. Since the 1980s, employers have been shifting health care costs to workers, eliminating pensions, replacing them with 401ks, and keeping wages low. Then you throw in globalization and the shift to a service economy, destroying a lot of good union jobs. Meanwhile... The cost of housing, health care, education, child care, well, they've risen much faster than workers' incomes. In fact, and this is a good point, inflation, says Carl, has become a major political issue. Why? Because unlike the cost of housing, child care, or health care, it also affects the wealthy. Inflation eats into the value of save money, which they have. And it reduces the burden on those who owe money, which is the working class. Nice piece of writing there. Carl Rosen, general president 
of the United Electrical Workers Union. So he'll be our first guest. Then we're going to go down to Atlanta, Georgia, check in with Ed Keynes. Now, Ed is the business manager of uh, the operating engineers. This would be local 926. That local was chartered back in 1926 for the Atlanta area. And over the years since that time, they have grown through various mergers to their current membership, which is about... uh, I believe it's somewhere under 2,000. We'll check in with uh, Ed when we get him on the show. But uh, we'll talk about uh, growing the union. We'll talk about the work. From what I understand, there's a whole lot of work down there. There's a lot of work going on. And the trades need workers. And we're going to talk about their apprenticeship program, get into that, what they uh, what they have in the sites for the five maybe 10 years down the road. And we'll also talk about the benefits of union membership. The fact that you got good wages, good pensions, defined benefit pensions, not too many of those around anymore. So uh, Ed Keynes, business manager of local 926 of the operating engineers, will be our second guest on the show. Unions in the news, making news. This labor update brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. Big strike in New York City. 7,000 nurses in New York City went on strike Monday morning. The nurses, all members of the New York State Nurses Association, which is affiliated with National Nurses United, and they are striking for fair contracts that improve patient care. The strike specifically addresses two hospitals, Mount Sinai on the Upper East Side of New York, and Montefiore Medical Center in the Bronx. The strike became a possibility after nurses' contracts at a dozen hospitals expired at the end of last year, December 31st. The union reached a tentative contract agreement with most of the hospitals, but not these two. Mario Salento is president of the New York State Labor Fed. Mario said it's time for the hospitals to treat these nurses fairly with the dignity and respect they deserve to ensure nurses can get back to serving their communities by providing superior care to their patients. Vince Alvarez, who is the head of the New York City Central Labor Council, also a member of the Electrical Workers Union, said the entire New York City labor movement stands with our nurses who are courageously taking action against dangerous understaffing that threatens the safety of their patients. The decision to go on strike is never an easy one, especially for workers who care so deeply about the patients and the communities they serve. But hospital executives treated this crisis by failing to hire, train, and retain nurses while at the same time treating themselves to extravagant compensation packages. Now it's time for them to fix what they've broken. So the full resources of the Central Labor Council in New York are affiliates and our 1.3 million members are at the disposal of our city's nurses as they fight for the resources they need to provide safe, quality health care to all New Yorkers. Way to go, Vince Alvarez. I remember having him on the show a couple months back. This guy is a fighter 
Love that guy. Love that guy. You know, this uh, generated a lot of national news yesterday. One nurse spoke out saying that she had to take care of 12 patients at one time. How the heck do you do that? 12 patients at one time. That's ridiculous. This has prompted a comment from Liz Shuler, president of the AFL-CIO, and she said uh, what's happening in New York, the nurses there are sending a strong message that union members will fight for what they believe in, even if it means going on strike. And they're not alone. So many of our union brothers, sisters, and siblings are putting it all on the line for the pay and treatment they deserve. From bakery workers on strike at a facility in Iowa to striking CWA members at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Boy, that's been going on for a couple of months. And then you got the mine workers. Warrior Met Cole, who've been on the picket line for more than 600 days. It'll be two years that they're on strike there on April 1st, the mine workers. Can you believe that? Liz says, to all union members on strike, we are with you. One day longer, one day stronger. Solidarity forever. Major victory for uh, graduate teachers and researchers at Yale University. They have voted to form a union with Unite Here Local 33. More than 90% of the voters who cast a ballot voted union yes. Here's the vote. 1,860 to 179. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, that's 91% voting yes. Got a comment from Madison Rackier. Madison's a grad researcher in the genetics department at Yale. For decades, our campaign has fought to improve the working conditions of graduate workers on our campus. We've been inspired by the union standard that our sibling unions, locals 34 and 35, have achieved through decades of organizing. I'm looking forward to winning a great first contract that will make graduate education at Yale more accessible to other working-class scholars. The workers will negotiate for a list of improvements, including better dental and vision coverage, more accessible mental health care, guaranteed time off, protections for international workers, strong grievance procedures, cost-of-living adjustments, increased transparency, and more. Adam Waters is a grad teacher in the history department at Yale. Adam says COVID has really highlighted the precarity of our work and the need for stronger workplace protections. The results of this election show that grad workers agree. Our work makes Yale work, and we deserve a seat at the table through our union and a contract. So congratulations to Local 33 of Unite Here. Major victory at Yale University. You know, I mentioned this on the show yesterday. This is a very special day to uh, combat and get people aware, more aware about human trafficking. This is uh, National Human Trafficking Awareness Day. And the month of January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. So uh, here's what's happening. The Association of Flight Attendants, which is uh, part of the Communication Workers of America, they are participating in what they call Wear Blue Day. So if you wear blue today, you are 
trying to raise awareness about human trafficking. And here, here's the hashtag. It's uh, Wear Blue Day. Wear Blue Day. So the AFA CWA is joining with the Department of Homeland Security on the blue campaign, which seeks to end human trafficking worldwide. And if you want to get some uh, more information, just Google Wear Blue Day. And if you see something going on that should not be going on, call this number, 866-347-2423, January is also Firefighter Cancer Awareness Month. And members of the Firefighters, International Association of Firefighters, powerful union, they're raising awareness about the leading cause of line-of-duty deaths for firefighters. Listen to this. Nearly 75%, three out of four firefighter deaths from job-related injuries or illness are attributable to occupational cancer. Increasing public awareness about the cancer dangers that firefighters face creates greater support for state and local governments to pass legislation that protects firefighters on the job and helps them recover if they're stricken with cancer in the line of duty. I know a lot of firefighters over the years that develop cancer. You think about all the buildings that they go in risking their lives, and they come out. They seem to be okay, but years later, years later, the smoke, the toxic fumes in many of the cases takes its toll. So uh, January is Firefighter Cancer Awareness Month. A lot of stories out there, and you can find more if you go to the International Association of Firefighters, IAFF.org. All right, we'll take a quick break. Carl Rosen on behalf of the United Electrical Workers coming up next. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the U.S., US, Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. 
Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. We do a monthly segment with them. In fact, Melissa Cropper will be on next Tuesday. Right now, though, let's go to the city of Chicago. And joining us is Mr. Carl Rosen, who serves as general president of the United Electrical Workers Union. Website, real simple, ueunion.org. And uh, their full name is the United Electrical Radio and Machine Workers of America. So they decided to abbreviate that. But it, it's still that same union. You just kind of kind of shortened it a little bit for uh, for the sake of brevity. Is that right, Carl? Um, it, it's sort of our our, uh, our nickname version over the years, but more and more we're actually going by uh, just UE, um, which we uh, we also say is shorthand for the union for everyone because uh, uh, the masters of uh, capitalism uh, have seen fit over the last 75 years to move almost the entire electrical, uh, radio, and machine industry off shores. Uh, so most of our original Industries, you know, we we organized the workers uh, in the 1930s as an original CIO union who worked for companies like GE and Westinghouse. They have very little manufacturing left in this country, so we uh, now organize workers in all sorts of industries, as a number of other unions do at this point. Uh, our our particular approach is to organize those who are uh, wanting to uh, have a union based on the principles of uh, uh, what we call them and us unionism. Uh, regarding uh, aggressive struggle, rank and file control, you know, which means real, real democracy, political independence, uh, international uh, solidarity, and, and uniting all workers, really paying attention to the need to, uh, to bring all workers uh, together, regardless of their uh, uh, race or, or gender or any, any other issues. So uh, union, workers who want to organize on that basis are uh, welcome with you within UE, and we've actually been doing a lot of organizing uh, uh, lately based on that. Well, that's good to hear. You know, let, let's talk about that time frame. You talked about what happened in the 30s and the 40s, and then in the 50s is when you saw union density pretty much reach its peak in America, like about one out of three mm-hmm. workers were members of a union, and it's it's gone downhill since then. You started at the UE in 1984, that time, so we're going back almost 40 years at that time, how many members did you have, and where are we today with the United Electrical Workers, Carl? Well, you know, union membership is a lot more fluid than it used to be. We've got a lot more part-time members. Uh, we have a lot of uh, organizing in uh, in right-to-work states. So uh, what we uh, tend to say is we represent 30,000 workers and their families uh, across this country, uh, that number used to be substantially higher for UE um, before uh, uh, the successive uh, waves of raiding during the McCarthy era and then the deindustrialization of the U.S. We were at one point uh, had uh, back in the 4,600,000 members uh, across uh, across the country, uh, making us uh, uh, you know the, a real powerhouse within the within the labor movement, but. Uh, uh, you know that that shrunk. Uh, I think by the time I came into the union, we were uh, maybe about double the size that uh, that we are now. Uh, the good thing is we've largely stabilized our membership 
over the last uh, 25 years or so as we have uh, expanded into uh, new areas of organizing. And, and we're, we are currently in a tremendous growth spurt, uh, the sort that we haven't really seen, um, especially proportionally, uh, probably since the 1930s. Carl, I was reading your uh, op-ed at the Chicago Tribune at the beginning of the show, and you, you, you referenced a lot of what you're talking about on the show, and you, you talk about the 80s and how employers have been shifting health care costs to workers, the pensions, the good pensions going away, globalization and all that. I'm just wondering, <laughs> in your opinion, have the American people finally realized that they're getting screwed? On, on the politics in America because of what's been going on for the past 45, 50 years here and realizing that, wait a minute, I'm working my tail off and I'm not getting anywhere. In the meantime, you got these people on the other side of the spectrum who are super, super wealthy. And bottom line, Carl, we're talking about the erosion of the middle class. The rich have gotten a whole lot richer and the rest of us, we're just, we're just uh, trying to keep our head above water. What's your thoughts on that? Have we have we finally realized? And and I guess part of this is we're seeing a lot of organizing. We're seeing some changes politically in a couple, not not in all of America. But what's your take on what's happening right now? Uh, I agree with you. I think the American working people have realized that there's a, a fen- fundamental problem about the way our economy is organized, the way our our politics run in order to support the way our economy is organized. Also, uh, the problem is. Um, uh, not everybody uh, understands uh, not only what the solutions are, but even who are the who who are the forces within it that are causing the most problems. And you know, I think you're you're seeing that play out in the the politics of uh, of division within the working class that you're seeing from uh, forces on the on the right who are trying to set one group of workers against another, um, dividing people based on race or immigration status or or uh, any any other other number of uh, of of items that they can try to divide people on uh, to keep people fighting against each other and thinking the other ones are, are, are at fault rather than looking at the fact that uh, the corporations and the wealthy are, are running away with the lion's share of our economy. Um, and I think part of the reason that uh, people realize there's a real problem, it really started soon after uh, the beginning of, uh, of this century, you know, when we've had these successive major financial crises, uh, uh, 2001, 2007-8, uh, uh, and, uh, and, then, and then even what happened around the pandemic, where um, each time uh, people have seen a, a large downward adjust, uh, adjustment, not only in their, in their living standards, but in what seem to be coming ahead. And, and we've had this talk of people not uh, being able to expect that they'll have a living standard equal to that of their parents, where they're going to have, you know, a nice home with a two-car garage and be able to send kids to college and, and, and not spend the rest of their life in debt, et cetera. That, that you know, kind of American dream ideal uh, is now seen as out of reach to most people. And when you, when you don't have that hope that you're going to have uh, have that uh, better future for your, you and your family economically, you start to say there's something wrong here. And there is something wrong here because we are the wealthiest country on earth. We do have plenty of money within this country to make sure that everybody could have that standard of living. And instead, the rules, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the rules have been written uh, in our economy at this point, and thanks to our politics, 
to make sure that that money is not being uh, distributed fairly, and instead it's, uh, it's all going upward to the rich. You talk about workers fighting workers, the division in America, which I, I guess you can really say it's toxic. It really is. And, and some people at the top are kind of like probably laughing and saying, hey, yeah, let them let them cancel each other out. That That's good. You know, we're just going to stay in our little, you know, country clubs and watch watch the show here. How do we fight that? I mean, there's division in unions. You, you know that, Carl. How, how do we address that situation? Uh, you're, you're absolutely right that there are divisions within within unions, and it varies in the unions and the and the, and the various workforces that are involved. Although, in general, workers who are in unions uh, tend to have a, a better understanding of our economy and and what's going on here and and who's causing what, uh, because they've been engaged in a fight with their employer to try to improve things. And they realize, oh, it's the employers that are holding us back. Uh, and that, that's really what's needed. And that's the incredibly important role of the U.S. labor movement. It's really the one place uh, where everybody of different uh, racial, religious, ethnic backgrounds um, come together and and uh, and can and strive for a joint cause. I mean, it, it's not going to be in the churches; they're segregated. It's not going to be in lots of our schools, which are fairly segregated. It's it's going to be in labor unions. Um, and part of part of the problem is that the labor union movement is so much smaller than it used to be. Uh, it's part of the problem is that it's not in large swaths of the country at all now. In fact, that's that's the deindustrialization that took place was in all of these, you know, uh, not quite rural, but, you know, uh, much smaller city areas uh, around, uh, around the industrial Midwest um, in Michigan and Wisconsin and Ohio. And so you used to have unions in these towns of uh, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 that could help uh, balance the politics there and help working people understand which side they're on and, and, and who it is that is causing problems for them. Um, and those unions are gone from those areas. And, and so those folks are ripe for the demagoguery that, that we see out of uh, the extreme sections of, uh, of the Republican Party in which uh, the Democrats have been flat on their back in terms of challenging out in those areas where there are no longer labor unions. You have to be optimistic about the young people today, Carl, and you've seen some data on that. And a lot of people, especially 18 to 34, they want to get involved in unions. I just did a story about uh, researchers at Yale. I mean, very pricey school. 91 percent, 91 percent voting to uh, join Unite Here. I mean, that's astronomical right now. Uh, The support for the PRO Act among young people, they're, they're all for it. I'm just wondering, you, you got to feel somewhat optimistic. You've seen the decline over the years, but there is a resurgence. How do you feel about that moving forward? Oh, I'm, I'm way beyond somewhat optimistic. I'm very optimistic. It, it, it's absolutely the case that young people uh, not only are ready to organize, they are organizing, they're doing it themselves, they're leading it themselves, which is what we need. You know, the, the, the labor movement, the modern labor movement was largely organized in the 1930s in the, in the big CIO upsurge. And uh, that was almost entirely self-organized. Uh, my union certainly was from the bottom up. It was people who came together in individual plants and GE and Westinghouse and these other companies and said, we need a union here. And then they, and then they, they organized in their own workplaces and then reached out to people who were doing the same thing in other workplaces. 
uh, the, the leaders of our union, I think, uh, when, when our national union was formed, were all in, in their uh, 20s or very early 30s, uh, you know, putting together a national union. So I, I think that's what we're seeing again. And again, it reflects the fact that these are folks who have come of age in one economic crisis after another uh, with, with uh, seeing their, their hopes for a better future economically dashed time and time again and saying, uh, we're not going to stand for this. We've got to do something about it. And nobody else is going to do it for us. The right. political parties aren't going to do it for us. The, the uh, corporations aren't going to do, do it for us. We have to do it ourselves. And, and yeah. our union is seeing, in fact, we're, we're in, in the exact same sector you just talked about. Uh, I'm in the middle of uh, leading first contract negotiations at MIT, where, uh, where the graduate workers organized uh, and voted by a very large margin uh, last uh, last year uh, to to join my union to join UE um, and today is the second day of two days of voting at Northwestern University in suburban Chicago uh, where 3,000 graduate workers are, are voting to join UE and uh, within the next three weeks we've got elections also at the University of Chicago and Johns Hopkins University for another 3,000 each and and more coming behind that. Uh, folks, are, uh, folks are ready to move. And what's very interesting also about graduate workers organizing is uh, they're going to they're gonna learn how to organize. They're going to learn how to run their own unions. Um, they're going to learn the difference that a union makes. And then after a few years, they're going to leave and they're going to go off into other workplaces throughout this country. And they're going to mm-hmm. bring those experiences with them. And yeah. uh, I think we're, we're going to see the uh, impact of this for a good number of years to come. I love talking to you. Carl Rosen joining us on our live line today. He is president, general president of the United Electrical Workers Union, the UE, ueunion.org. In fact, if you go to that website, you can read about the Northwestern University graduate workers. We'll continue the conversation after this. Later in the show, we're going to go to Atlanta, Georgia, check in with the operating engineers. That would be local 926. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A.org. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. 
The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And way to get an opportunity, just do this. Sign up, receive our shows on a regular basis, and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. And remember this, too. If you like a show, please share that show with your brothers and sisters in unions. We like to grow the show in 2023, which is our anniversary, our 30th anniversary this year. 30 years for America's workforce. And coming up in July, I'll be the host for 25 of those years. Proud to be your host on America's Workforce. Let's go back to Chicago. Rejoin Carl Rosen, who serves as general president of the United Electrical Workers Union, ueunion.org. He's been a general president since uh, 2019. Got another election coming up later this year. Started the union in 1984. You were talking earlier about organizing. Tell me about this uh, green locomotive project. We, we like a lot of these projects that will create good, and it's important that they be union jobs. And, and in this case, you're also impacting climate change. We, give, give me the story on this, Carl. Go ahead. Sure. No, this is a, this is a, a great uh, project that uh, one, of, uh, one of our locals is heavily involved in and, and others are getting increasingly involved in. Um, we represent uh, right now about uh, 1,500 workers, uh, but it's been much higher numbers at other times, and we're hoping for it to get back up there in Erie, Pennsylvania, at a plant that uh, – Builds locomotives uh, for Wabtec. It used to be GE Transportation, but they sold to Wabtec, which is the old Westinghouse air brake uh, company. So these are original uh, industrial uh, titans in, in the U.S. And we've proudly represented the workers there since the 1930s and uh, good standard of living. Uh, you know, that, that's an area that's really been decimated economically by deindustrialization. This is, you know, uh, one of the few, uh, you know, substantial workplaces with, with really good union uh, wages and benefits left there. Um, but the, uh, the railroads in this country have uh, chosen to uh, stop, largely stop buying new locomotives, and they're just running old ones into the ground. Um, and these are dirty, filthy, polluting ones that don't even, you know, they, they started uh, 20 years ago uh, with this tier standard, and they're all the way up to tier four that, 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 that are the better uh, locomotives. And, and a huge number of the ones out there are tier zero, which means they're so old they're not even rated, or tier one, which is, you know, not much better than the two tier zero. And they do two things, these dirty locomotives. Uh, they, um, they contribute uh, to climate change and uh, in a way that they really shouldn't, uh, that there's no need for at this point. And number two, uh, they put these terrible diesel uh, fumes out in the rail yards, which means the railroad workers themselves uh, are, are breathing it in. Uh, but also the surrounding neighborhoods and the neighborhoods surrounding most railroad yards are, guess what, uh, poor working class areas, uh, frequently people of color. Uh, and it's, it's back to the, you know, the, the environmental justice issues that are there in terms of uh, who, who's getting killed by the pollution in, in this country. So we're, uh, we're engaging allies 
um, in, uh, in, in the environmental movement, in community-based movements, um, uh, in a discussion about how can we put together the pressure needed uh, to get the EPA to step in uh, and, or, and or state uh, bodies. Uh, so, for example, in California, they've already been taking the lead on this. Tell the railroads, you have to clean up your act. You have to buy new locomotives that stop polluting, uh, that stop contributing to climate change, um, and uh, and that uh, you know have all uh, all of those positive event, uh, impacts, and at the same time, is cre- creating the gr- uh, good union jobs that are needed as as these locomotives are uh, are are being built. Um, so we're uh, we're pushing hard at that. Our local it, it, local 506 in Erie is taking the lead. We also represent uh, thousands of workers who drive vans for railroad crews around this country. Uh, mostly working for a company called Halcon. Uh, there's some of the impacted workers uh, breathing these fumes in, um, and uh, they're going to be uh, in places engaging also in this push, uh, working with the local communities and the uh, you know the organizations in the in the areas around these rail yards to uh, to raise this demand that the railroads uh, clean up their their act. You know the railroads are not seen in a very good light right now, and for good reason. Um, they are uh, not focused on actually delivering freight and passengers are focused only it appears on delivering um, profits to their shareholders yep. and uh, and that's why uh, you, you're seeing more and more complaints uh, from companies that need products shipped especially from places that aren't right there on the main line uh, it's why we've saw the the snafus in terms of uh, uh, products being delivered uh, out of the ports across the country uh, this year and uh, this couple, last couple of years during the pandemic and, and things getting snagged everywhere uh, and, and our, our store shelves being empty. Um, and it's why you saw a company that the companies, railroad companies just brazenly ran over uh, their workers, took advantage of a compliant Congress, um, bad actors, frankly, in both parties, uh, knowing that they were going to be able to impose yet uh, another contract uh, that didn't meet the needs of the workers or ability to take time off work uh, for uh, basic medical uh, procedures that uh, can protect their health, whether it be a prostate exam or any other kind of uh, preventive exam where you've got to take a day or two off work and, uh, you know, they, 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 they aren't willing to provide the, the, the medical days for them to do that because they have, in the quest for profits, uh, cut their staffing down way, way too low. Mm-hmm. Uh, and something called uh, what they call precision scheduled railroading, which is just another word for speed up that we've faced in factories for years and years and years, getting more work out of less people. Yeah. And and they cut that to the bone so far that now they uh, they uh, they can't keep the railroads running running right. They you know the people who own and run these railroads they they don't deserve to be left in charge. Uh, we we need to move away from this model, but uh, a first step right now is to make them at least take responsibility uh, for uh, cleaning up the pollution that, that these old locomotives are, uh, are dumping all over this country right now. So it's called the Green Locomotive Project. And if you would be so kind when we wrap up this interview, you mentioned Local 506. If you would uh, give me some contact information, I'd like to follow up on that. That sounds like a a good segment here on the show. Would you uh, would you be able to do that uh, for me, Carl? A- absolutely. Our uh, local leaders in Erie are uh, more than happy to talk about this, and they are extremely well versed about the issues in the uh, railroad industry and and particularly around locomotive production. 
We, we hit that uh, thing really hard, that rail situation. It, it was ridiculous. And, and there was one individual who pretty much became a martyr because he could not take time off. He, he felt like he needed to get a medical checkup. He had some heart palpitations. And they said, well, no, we need you on the train. He got on the train and he died on the train. And that's what was the catalyst for that, uh, for that pretty much of a revolt there. And to your point, yeah, Congress, don't you think it's kind of interesting that the members of Congress have paid sick leave? They've got a lot of benefits. But when it comes to helping workers out with those, they kind of like walked away. Did you notice that, Carl? I, I, I did. And, but what I also noticed is, is the way things are uh, set up with regards to railroad workers. They're basically being denied the right to strike. And uh, our our thoughts in UE is that that is a right that needs to be protected above all else because it's where we have the most economic leverage. And, uh, you know, our position is that the uh, uh, that that whole law needs to be scrapped. And, uh, you know, the railroads are virtual monopolies. If they can't uh, stand to have a fair tussle with their workers where the workers have the have the right to strike and, and, and that puts the economic pressure on the company. Uh, that it deserves well, you know. Then, then maybe they shouldn't be private companies anymore. Yeah. Uh, may, maybe, uh, maybe they shouldn't be allowed to make the profits that they're that they're making. Um, I, I think it's uh, it's it's only fair that uh, uh, they ought to have the uh, the same ability that that other workers do. And and uh, although, frankly, you know, the the right to strike of all workers is under attack. There's a Supreme Court case right now called Glacier, where they're trying to set up the ability of. Uh, of companies to sue unions uh, when when unions go on strike, uh, and uh, you know th- this is a, a very dangerous possibility. And of course, we've got uh, such a right wing Supreme Court now because it's been so manipulated uh, uh, over the years because uh, the Republicans have been very smart about how they've handled the uh, and very cynical uh, about how they've handled the court appointments, um, and the Democrats not nearly aggressive enough. Um, that uh, we're, we're facing, uh, you know, a real possibility there of, of that that threat. So the the right to strike is a, a really important right for the labor movement. Uh, we're, we're going to actually uh, that same local in in Erie, Pennsylvania, is going to be uh, trying to extend that one further step and regain the right to strike over grievances, which is what unions used to do uh, coming out of the 1930s, and gradually that was given up in exchange for arbitration, and uh, that's part of what's kind of locked a lot of workers into uh, a not good situation where it's kind of left up to the lawyers to decide. And then these uh, uh, supposedly independent arbitrators who, you know, always have to uh, be looking over their shoulder at uh, who's paying the bills, et cetera. And, and, uh, uh, and it just removes things from the uh, workplace where they ought to be resolved uh, and, and, uh, and, and takes workers out of struggle. So uh, that, that's, a, that's a fight you'll be hearing about probably this summer when their contract is up, and it's going to be one of the key issues uh, that they're going to be fighting on uh, uh, for their new contract. Carl Rosen, General President of the United Electrical Workers Union, joining us on our live line today. The uh, website is ueunion.org, and that's also their hashtag on Twitter if you want to check them out. And uh, if you just want to Google uh, the um, interest rate hikes. There's a really good article that I talked about at the beginning of the show that's uh, posted on the Chicago Tribune 
about uh, how the Fed is really screwing up the middle class. They do a really good job of that. I'm telling you. Carl, always a pleasure having you on the show here. You keep in touch. Uh, remember to get me that uh, what Local 506. We'll follow up with the Green Locomotive Project. Okay, brother? Absolutely, and uh, thank you for having me, and thank you for doing this program. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a real service to the American working people. We appreciate that. Please uh, share it with your members. Okay, brother? Indeed. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Ed Keynes is the uh, business manager for the operating engineers in Atlanta, Georgia. He's coming up next. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Liuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Liuna, the Laborers International Union of North America delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at voidwaterson.com. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. From the Golden Gate Bridge to the St. Louis Gateway Arch, the Sears Tower, and just about every building, bridge, and structure in between, our cities and towns wouldn't be the same without ironworkers. With over 3,000 contractors employing more than 130,000 highly trained ironworkers and 20,000 apprentices, the Ironworkers Union stands ready and able to shape the future of our skylines. Learn more at ironworkers.org. Ironworkers, the sky's the limit. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Before we get to our next guest, just another plug here for the MLK Conference, which is happening in Washington, D.C. this weekend. It actually starts on Friday. There is still time to uh, register or at least get some information on it. Just go to this website, themlkconference.org, themlkconference.org. It starts on Friday and wraps up on January 16th, which is officially Martin Luther King Jr. Day. The theme of the conference is claiming our power, protecting our democracy. Let's go to Atlanta, Georgia right now, which is actually the home of Dr. King. Joining us on line number two, is Ed Keynes. Ed serves as business manager of the operating engineers. That would be local 926. Website, real simple, ioe926.org. And right now, they're shy of about 2,000 members. Ed Keynes, welcome to America's Workforce. How are we doing today, my brother? Doing fine, doing fine. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, and all the best to you. So give me a little uh, background on your local. I was reading at the top of the show that uh, you were chartered back in uh, 1926. You definitely uh, came a long way. There were some mergers over the years. So uh, 
Talk to me about your territory. Are you Atlanta, outside Atlanta, and uh, maybe just give me a little history here. Go ahead. Okay. All right. So real simply, we split the state in half. So we're the northern half of Georgia, which does include the Atlanta area and the entire metropolis. Um, Our sister local, which is local 474, their jurisdiction covers the southern half of the state. That's the port. That includes the port areas of Savannah, et cetera, et cetera, and all of the cities on the southern half of the state. But, you know, in a nutshell, 926's jurisdiction is the northern half of Georgia. So, Ed, let me ask you, I've been hearing from a lot of uh, engineers, locals around the country, that work is pretty good. Is is that pretty much the case in, in your territory in Georgia? It certainly is. Work is really solid, and that's a good that's a good problem to have. We've got more work than we've seen in a long time. So our members are really, really putting it in, and we're looking to expand. So qualified operating engineers, check out our website, give us a call, get in touch with us. We've got work for guys who are qualified. And for those who aren't, we offer really good training. Well, let's talk about that. Um, the website, by the way, is iuoe926.org. Can't say that enough. Obviously, you need some work down there. Um, talk to me about your apprenticeship program uh, and, 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 and what you're doing to recruit more young folks into, uh, into operating engineers. Gladly, gladly. So we've got a joint apprenticeship program. So it's, uh, we're partnering with the Department of Labor, and we've got a really substantial charter. Um, our apprenticeship program is an 8,000-hour uh, training program, which gives on-the-job training, both classroom instructional training and a lot of uh, – real-world on-job site training. What happens is uh, we partner our apprentices with journeyman operators, much like myself. I'm a product of our apprenticeship program, and so I went through the apprenticeship program. So we we, we partner our apprentices with journeyman operators in real-world situations on a day-to-day basis. So most of your training will come from real-world situations. And by the way, our training program is a pay-as-you-go program. We're not charging our members for this training. They earn a Mm -hmm. substantial living, they contribute to a pension, and they get full family health care included with their training program throughout the entire career. Ed, I know you wanted to talk about those pension plans. You have defined benefit plans. Why don't you explain to our listeners what that means a lot of people don't understand that because everybody seems to be accustomed to these 401k plans which are actually defined contribution plans can you uh, can you tell our listeners the difference there gladly gladly and you know i hope this really really gets out to people who really need to hear it because just like you mentioned a lot of people are really invested in these 401ks and those are good if you have nothing but if you have access to a defined benefit plan, then that, you have a superior retirement instrument. The biggest difference, in my opinion, between a defined benefit plan and 401k that you described is you fund the 401k and your employer may or may not offer a small match on your contributions, but you're funding your retirement. The difference with a pension, a defined benefit pension that we have is your employer contributes to this pension on your behalf. So your earnings are your true earnings, whereas with a 401k, a portion of your earnings have to be diverted to fund your retirement. And like I said earlier, that's fine if you've got nothing else or if you want to use that to supplement a defined benefit plan that you have. And you can do you can do both. But mm-hmm. clearly 
clearly the superior retirement instrument is a defined benefit plan like a pension. Right. The bottom line here is when you retire, I mean, you work hard. I mean, you were in the trades, you're working hard all of your life. And when you come to that point in your life saying, I'm done, I'm going to retire, you want to live a comfortable lifestyle. And that's how you're going to do it with a defined benefit plan. That's good. Is that message, has that message resonated with the, with the members at 926, Ed? It does. It does. But like most people, we have, <laughs> we have young members. And, you know, when you're young, it, people don't really see retirement, especially when you're in your 20s. You know, let's be real. People think that uh, retirement is for older people. and We don't really see the real value in retirement until we get a little later on in our working careers. But trust me, our members really appreciate it. We have retirees who come in and share their experiences with us on a regular basis. And it's, it's really comforting to hear that they're really comfortable in retirement and not worrying about day-to-day expenses. It, it's, I can't tell you how many of our members, when they reach retirement age, are surprised at how much they're earning in retirement. It's really, <laughs> it's really pleasing and comforting to hear these guys. And uh, <laughs> one day is all I can say, one day. But everybody should be preparing for retirement. Ed, it sounds to me you've got to take uh, some of these uh, folks that are about to retire or who have retired and tell the young folks, hey, look what I got. This is what you can have if you stick with this job for 30, 35 years. That's that's a way to go. One more question here before you go. Um, what do you do in as far as attracting uh, folks into the trades, are you hitting the schools down there and, and, and are you getting results? Yes. And yes. So <clears throat> schools often have um, uh, career centers and job fairs. So we, we attend those as often as we can. You know, we've got uh, we've got a, quite a display where we have <laughs> information available for these members. And we also hit uh, community job fairs. You know, we have some really big ones that we get out there and get our word out to the community to let them know. Of course, opportunities like this podcast also help get the word out to our members. Well, Ed, if you just send it out to your members, we'll uh, greatly appreciate that. Again, the website is iuoe926.org, International Union of Operating Engineers in uh, Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, and northern Georgia there. Just shy of about 2,000 brothers and sisters Heavy machinery and a lot of work going on right now. Any parting words for our audience, Ed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Visit our website. Um, come in and see us. We're located just on the south side of the city. You know, we're open and we're looking for members, um, young, old, whoever. You know, before I got into this, I had never been in the building trades, never been on a construction job. And uh, it's transformed my life and it transforms the lives of so many of our members, so many of our members say, you know, I wasn't even aware of this opportunity, and I'm glad that it's here. So we're here for everybody. Thank you. Ed Keynes, business manager, operating engineers, 926. That'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow we'll check in with the UAW and the IBEW, Local 34 in Illinois. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.